welcome back to Outtakes. This week, I'm joined by Outfront's co-chief diversity officers, DJ Jerunzlay and Eric Davis, as well as Reverend Kobe Little. Kobe is a global citizen, public policy advocate, and dean of justice chapel. He serves as president of the Baltimore NAACP and is the vice president of the Maryland State Conference of the NAACP. On Juneteenth, Kobe joined Outfront for a thoughtful discussion on the history of the day, as well as to answer some questions about race in America, his experiences, and how people can continue to learn and become more educated to move forward in a more respectful way. In a series of upcoming episodes, I'll continue to be joined by Eric, DJ, and Kobe to continue that discussion and expand upon some of the questions and themes that came up during the conversation on Juneteenth. I'm certainly thankful and uh, delighted to have had the opportunity to share my thoughts on Juneteenth during Outfront's celebration and join in the conversation with Lindsay and DJ and with your executive leadership, Jeremy, Jody, and Nancy, and so many people from across the country who show up to work for Outfront in amazing ways. It was an impactful conversation for me. It was inspiring and hopeful. And I think it was outstanding that the company decided to take this kind of leadership and to join in and advance a conversation about how we create equity in corporate spaces, but also across this country. It was quite heartening, particularly in this very challenging moment, to see people from so many different backgrounds, so many areas of the country, so many different walks of life join in in earnest to have a conversation and advance understanding. So I'm grateful to be able to return and participate in this podcast and to follow up on some of the questions and to keep the conversation going. On today's episode, we're going to talk a lot about identity, and a lot of what encompasses that is the terminology that people are using. In the current moment, a lot of people have been introduced to new vernacular, are questioning some of the language they may have used in the past, but it's not as simple as just swapping out words and getting a new glossary for how to respectfully communicate with people of color, but more about understanding the meaning and the mentality behind so much of the language that we all use. First and foremost, we're starting at a really foundational level. One of the questions we received a number of times is what we should be saying and how we should be addressing people. Is it African-American or Black? I've said people of color, but how do you know what to use, when to use, and, and how to ask someone appropriately what they prefer? Right. I think that's a great question. And I think that the, the compass that people should use to navigate questions of identity and representation and diversity and inclusion really is a compass of, of understanding and respect. And if your goal is to, to understand why people identify the way they identify, if your goal is to communicate respect and to show that you value uh, other people or uh, communities that are, are, are different from yours, then you really can't go wrong. Because even if you don't get it right at first pass, your desire for understanding and your commitment to showing respect will help you to get to, to where you need to be. Now, as it specifically relates to the terminology African-American or Black or people of color, African-American speaks to people of African descent who live in America broadly. So 
the Americas. All of us are African-American in that sense. But typically in the United States, when we speak of African-American, we mean people who are the descendants of those who have been enslaved or those who have African people who have been in the United States for generations. However, even recent immigrants from the Caribbean or from the continent or African people who immigrate to the United States from other parts of the world, just as they become Americans, we celebrate their African heritage and their new American identity, and they are welcome as as African Americans as well. But there's intersectionality. So, you know, you can very much be African American and Caribbean. You can be African American and Ghanaian or African American and Ethiopian. Uh, and so the terminology shouldn't be seen as something that is singular or something that has to be limiting, but we should respect the right of individuals and communities to express their identity in the ways that fit and feel most comfortable. Now, Black is a respectful term and and way to refer to people of African descent, and it is a universal term, whether you are a person that identifies as Afro-Brazilian or Afro-Caribbean or as a a Tanzanian or as uh, someone from the Gambia, chances are that you also identify with the global plight of African people and that Black is a term that, that you embrace. I certainly embrace my African identity and am comfortable referring to myself as Black and also as African American or even as an African person living in America. Those are the intersectionalities that I experience, and or that's how I refer to myself. But I think the important thing is to uh, seek to show respect to people, to respect our our, our journey, to respect our story, to uh, respect our ancestry. A lot of the African experience in the United States and around the world has been an experience of erasure marginalization and denial. So when referring to our ethnicity or our identity, it is an act of establishing and cementing our presence in the world. It is an act of unity and solidarity with African people around the world. And we should be comfortable as a society, as American society, with celebrating diversity and celebrating African people in America and uh, the rich texture that that brings to American society, just as we should be celebrating the ethnic identities of all Americans. We are stronger and better because we see our difference in ways that we celebrate. We're stronger and better because we see the contributions of, of numerous cultures and ethnicities in American society. That's what makes the promise of this country so so amazing. You know, when you talk about how this sort of ties to DNI outfront, we also as a company just recognize the value in bringing together authentic people of diverse backgrounds and how that makes us a stronger company. And part of the respect that Kobe talks about is just what you did, which was asking, what is the terminology that you're most comfortable with? Because one of foundational 
pieces of being authentic is to um, be able to determine the terms on which you're referred to. What are you called? We see that in the LGBTQ community with the use of pronouns. What is your preferred pronoun? So these things are important. Kobe speaks basically of the intent over the form of the message, right? But there is nothing wrong, and I think it's quite respectful to simply ask somebody, is this okay? How would you like me to refer to you? You make yourself vulnerable in that moment. You create a connection. You're reaching out to somebody and you're respecting them and recognizing their humanity and their individuality when you do that. I think it's, a, it's an important connection to make. I think that the learning piece and hearing you, Eric, and Kobe, both of you really talk about, it's actually about respect. So it's not just about needing to say the right words right away up front. People may not know them but not being afraid to make the misstep or ask how someone want, would like to be addressed is really critical in your own education. You learn by asking and doing and hearing, but also in really opening up and allowing yourself to hear an answer and being able to be exposed to taking in new information and in some cases maybe challenging norms or things that you learned or were taught early on in education because that was the norm then. One of the things... Eric, you mentioned, especially about Outfront, and DJ, if you wanted to hit on this for a second, that we have employee resource groups designed to help people um, embrace their authenticity and their rich history. And another term that I will say has become newer to me, maybe it's been around a lot longer, but is BIPOC and Black, Indigenous, people of color and groups like that. Also, one of the questions that came up is, does BIPOC include allies? Can you be a white person and be part of that group? Or... Is it almost exclusive if you don't fit in? Right. No, and I think that that's a very valuable question, Lindsay. I think that BIPOC most certainly includes allies. We talk about authenticity, and, and one of the things that you were just hitting on a moment ago is, is truly related to courageous conversations, you know, and, and really having the courage to ask, having the courage to listen, and then together learning and, and moving forward. And that's where allies come in. It's been incredibly heartening to see the number of people who have raised their hand um, wanting to participate in the BIPOC ERGs. And BIPOC basically stands for Black, Indigenous, and People of Color. And, you know, there will be a number of ERGs that will fall under that umbrella. But we've had so many people raise their hands and say that they want to be allies because they want to understand some of the challenges that the BIPOC community is experiencing. They want to demonstrate respect. And I think one of the best ways to demonstrate respect is via interest and to show interest in our past, to show interest in our experiences, to show interest in, in, in what our needs are and, and our perspectives, our, our varying perspectives. Speaking together with allies is one of the only ways that we can move forward in terms of the agenda within the company, which is bridging gaps of, you know, of lack of understanding. Um, helping people understand what we need on both sides. Another important aspect of the approach, addition to love and respect and understanding, is being diligent about developing an awareness of the history and how naming has been used to marginalize and divide different communities. I think one of the terms that we kind of haven't brought up is the use of the term minority to refer to people of color. And I actually would discourage the use of the term minority. It's a term that is in great use um, by people of color and by white folks. But 
the, the truth of the matter is that there is a power analysis around how the term minority is used to suggests that there's not relevance or that there is not standing or that there is not power. And the fact is that people of color are not a minority in the world and focusing on how much or how little people are represented really isn't the point. The point is that all people should be treated with respect and dignity. And so a lot of times we choose to use the term people of color as opposed to minority, because it speaks more clearly to who we are. And it also is a show of unity and solidarity in the face of cultural norms and practices that have largely been in place to divide communities of color and to not allow us to see the commonalities in our experience of white supremacy and our experience of marginalization. And when we speak of people of color, that is a a very wide and broad tent. And the communities that are represented therein have their own distinct and unique experiences, which also must be valued. So sometimes uh, you'll hear people of color refer to people of color. And then sometimes um, you'll hear people say, speak more specifically to their ethnicity or a more specific identity, and that's okay. As people of color and white folk have these conversations, we have to create the space for people to embrace according to however they show up, whatever the intersectionality is, to embrace multiple terms and to use multiple terms at their discretion, and not to say, well, my other Black friend or my other Latinx friend says this and this, so... You should say that, or I thought it was okay if I say it. This is a process, and it's a conversation. So there may be difficult moments or uncomfortable moments, but as long as love and understanding and respect are overriding and and driving impulses, I think we'll be able to have these conversations in ways that are meaningful and helpful. Now, there's a lot of conversation in the United States and around the world around allies, what an ally is and what the role of allies are and how allies can show up. And my take on, on allies is a little different. Uh, largely, the conversation around allies focuses on allies as being an identity. Being an ally is an identity. It means that I might not be a person of color but I relate to and want to support the struggles and the movement of people of color. I would much more say that ally is a function and the identity that we should all be aspiring to is global citizen or good person, someone who recognizes the the human rights of all human beings, who recognizes the value of diversity and inclusion and equity, and someone who in whatever sphere uh, they find themselves in or show up in, are advancing those principles. I may be in the impacted community today, and on the next point, I may show up as an ally. The idea that I identify as an ally as opposed to I serve as an ally is, is problematic for me for a number of reasons. First of all, in order for me to be an ally, there has to be some agreement with person or the people that I am with. Identifying as an ally is not something that any individual or group of people can do 
separate and apart from the people for whom they seek to be allies. But every human being can wake up and say, I believe in justice. I believe in freedom. I believe in respect. I believe that all human beings have inalienable rights. And so that's why I kind of push back on the way that ally is used. I think it's important for all of us to be allies when appropriate. But I don't think that we should be identifying ourselves as allies. Being an ally is a conversation. Being an ally is about an agreement. Today, I'm an ally. Tomorrow, I'm an impacted person. The next day, I'm still trying to figure out what the dynamics are. And that's okay. I really hit on a lot of things you just said around the idea of being a global citizen and being a good person and really changing the dynamic of the terminology, everything from that minority in a lot of ways, I never thought of it before, implies marginalized. It immediately changes the mindset of how you're thinking about a group that would be a quote unquote minority. And when you mentioned things about celebrating diversity as part of the texture of America and thinking about multiple terms, I immediately was like, I asked you a question, is it African-American or black? Just that alone, it's so important that everyone thinks beyond, okay, if I was saying the wrong thing, what's the right thing? And how do I universally apply that? That this is an ongoing conversation, that it's it's learning almost a new a new language, a new way of thinking about your environment and the way you've operated in it in your world. You've mentioned a number of times in our own conversations, I know you said it on Juneteenth too, that there's so much about not being a, col- a colorblind society. That's not the goal of the conversations now and along the lines of terminology and just sort of trying to continue that education for everyone listening, they're immediately, I think, in the first weeks after when the protests started and when there were a lot of uh, marches, that people stopped saying it's not enough to just say you're not racist. It's about being anti-racist. I would think, but I would love to hear your perspective, that so much of that falls into speaking up when you experience moments that people sort of just may have acknowledged were not the best in the past and turn the blind eye to, but also about continuing to be open to new terms and new ways of thinking. Absolutely. You know, uh, the law of inertia says that those things that are in motion will stay in motion until such time that something acts to put it at rest. And those things that are at rest will stay at rest until such time as something acts to put it in motion. And what is probably the most insidious thing about white supremacy uh, is that it has established a frame that we use and accept that we have inherited that drives all of the conversations. So the point of departure for most of the conversations in business and public policy and in social life all come from a frame that establishes that there is a supreme way to do it and that there are, uh, there is a group of people who are, uh, the superlative in the equation and know best how to drive the conversation and produce the outcomes. It's important for us to be critical thinkers and to consistently be challenging the assumptions that we've inherited, the assumptions about life, about people, about how democracy works, about how uh, education works, about why people show up the way they show up, about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be cisgendered or to uh, identify as queer or wh- whatever the case may be. We show up with a lot of assumptions. They're not assumptions that we have had regular conversations in a society about 
and agree that are assumptions that work. I think it's important that we embrace what science shows us, which is that we are stronger, we're more resilient, we're healthier, and we're better with diversity. Uh, that's a, a core principle of science. Diversity makes us stronger and more resilient. So it's, it's not enough to say that you're not racist. We must be anti-racist because we're required to affect change by taking action. If we're passive, if we're silent, then that means that we're complicit with the frame that we've inherited. And so each person in the United States and around the globe must be active participants in rejecting a supremacist frame and establishing a frame that is inclusive, that celebrates diversity, that values all human life, and that believes that we must all find ways to agree and operate that are sustainable and respectful. The frame that we've inherited says that some people count more than others. The frame that we have inherited says that some people have God-given rights that others don't. The frame that we've inherited says that certain people in certain countries and even in certain zip codes are entitled to a standard of living that other people aren't entitled to, and that, in fact, other people are responsible for sacrificing so that the entitled class can have the standard of living that they have. None of us reasonably believe that when we articulate it out like that, but without challenging the, the assumptions that we've inherited, without challenging the frame and reestablishing a frame, we passively accept what has been for the last 500 years. And we know better and so now it's a time for us as a society and uh, humanity as a whole to do better, to lean in and to do the work to create justice in every sphere of, of human interaction. Kobe, thank you so much for joining today and for beginning the conversation around the language we're using, terminology, and why it's a much more expansive discussion than simply figuring out what is the right thing to say in every situation. Eric and DJ, thank you as well for providing additional detail and insight into what diversity and inclusion looks like at Outfront today and moving forward. And more importantly, I think that starting today's conversation around terminology and how to approach conversations with specific word choice and being comfortable asking people for their preferences will be really informative as we move forward in subsequent episodes about having open and honest conversations with colleagues and with peers, how adults can begin to shift their mindset and how parents can talk to their kids to ensure that from an early age, they have the right perspective on conversations around race and respect for people of all colors and all backgrounds. As always, thank you for listening, and until next time, over and out.